Welcome to the Maths in Schools podcast. Hello and welcome. My name is Alan Duggan, CEO of the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers. In this series, we'll be exploring ideas and strategies for effectively teaching mathematics in schools. And today, in this sixth podcast, we're going to explore feedback. Feedback that is specific and clearly actionable. I'm really excited to be joined by Thomas Moore to explore this concept and idea. Thomas is a passionate educator who is driven by helping students and teachers enjoy their experience of working mathematically. He's in his final year of his PhD, exploring the idea of productive pedagogical relationships between maths teachers and their students and how these are formed with students in the middle years. When he isn't studying, you will find Thomas developing resources for Engage ME Mathematics and working as a consultant with teachers and school leaders to help both primary and secondary schools implement an exclusive and engaging mathematics curriculum for all. Thomas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Alan, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. We're talking about feedback. The place where I start with many of these podcasts is Let's not be ambiguous. Let's ask the the starting question of what is feedback? When when we talk about feedback in in maths education, what do we mean by that, Thomas? Yeah, and so when it comes to feedback or anything, I like to actually sort of start with what it's not because when we know what it's not, it becomes clearer to understand what it is. So feedback is not praise or criticism or rewards or punishment. Saying something like good job, bad job or handing out rewards or holding back rewards uh, from students does nothing in terms of helping them to improve. So feedback is not that. I also believe that feedback isn't a formulaic process that that we follow, all right? We're, when we're talking about feedback, we're talking about working with stu- students um, and, and teachers, and it's a really human and individualised human endeavour. And because of that, because we're dealing with humans, there's a whole lot of other factors that come into play. So we'll talk about a range of different things with feedback today, but I really want to get across the point that, you know, even though um, it needs to be specific and it needs to be actionable, it's not a formulaic process. There, there are a number of things that we need to take into consideration, in particular, how you're interacting with the other people. And then also, if I can take a moment as well to talk about a couple of things that it requires. So these two things are empathy and trust within the relationship. And that is the part that makes it such a human process uh, because, you know, empathy and trust really are what what makes up relationships and, and how we operate and communicate as human beings. Empathy is in terms of the person giving the feedback really needs to be able to step into the shoes of the person receiving the feedback to, first of all, understand the issues that they might be having in terms of the task or whatever that is that they're trying to do, but also their emotions that they might be experiencing in terms of when receiving the feedback. So when giving feedback, you really need to step or imagine yourself in the other person's shoes um, when, when, when actually giving the feedback in order to be able to understand the issue and to be able to address it properly. And the other thing is trust. Now, I know that I've been in relationships where I, or I've, I've, been given feedback by people before where I haven't necessarily known them all that well. And the feeling that I'm left with at the end of it is, who are they to tell me what to do? And they might have had all the best intentions, but if there's 
not the trust within the relationship, then the feedback can fall short in terms of meeting the mark and being able to really help the person to progress. And I think if you take a moment now just to sort of stop and think about a time when maybe feedback that you've either given or received hasn't landed for you or for the other person, I think it's probably fallen short in one of those two things. That is the empathy or the trust within the relationship that exists. That is, they haven't understood the problem or they've delivered it in a way that has, you know, not really left me feeling good about myself or there's not the trust within the relationship there initially to be able to build on. And maybe if you've had trust breakdown in the past, then that's the opportunity for things for feedback to be misconstrued as being criticism and, and less likely to be taken on. You, you may have heard my pen go um, at, at quite a fast rate of knots there as you were talking because there was a whole host of things that I wrote down that I, I guess I want to follow up with. You started off by talking about what it's not. So it's not about a good job necessarily. It's not about um, rewarding or withholding rewards or, you know, punishment and praise. And then you went on to talk about the importance of empathy and trust. And I guess for me, I, I have to confess to um, being a bit of a, a, a social media scroller. And, and it, it struck me, I, I saw one of those, um, you know, motivational Instagram posts this morning. And I, I think it said something along the lines of don't accept criticism from people that you would never go to for advice. And it, and it gets me thinking uh, that that came straight to mind when you spoke about empathy and trust there. And, and so would it be fair to say that whilst um, good job and, and rewards or, or whatever you might have in place in your classroom is not the feedback, is not feedback and not what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to define. It actually help, is important that we have a really good classroom culture, a really good safe environment because otherwise we can't build empathy, we can't build trust, we can't build a place where feedback will be accepted and actioned upon unless we've got a really effective and strong classroom culture. And I feel like I've diverted the conversation, but would you, would you agree with that? 100%. So the research that I'm doing at the moment is looking at how effective maths teachers build strong, productive pedagogical relationships with students. Now, that's a mouthful in itself, um, as most PhDs tend to be. But with with this, what, what's productive pedagogical relationships? Well, those are the types of relationships where students become more motivated and engaged and want to learn maths because of the relationship with their teacher. So it's not just a relationship where the teacher and students are having a friend, a friendly chat, and and that's all it is, and, and no work is ever expected or there's no high expectations on the students. It's, it's really about building a relationship so that the students want to invest more into their learning because they really respect their teacher and they want to, you know, almost impress, but, you know, do the right thing by them, their teacher and also themselves as part of that. Yeah, I completely agree. So let me, let me try and get the conversation back onto the rails because I took it off the rails. You were yeah. in the process of, you, you kind of gave us a, a framework of what feedback is not. We, we spoke about the, the conditions or the characteristics for feedback of empathy and trust. Is there anything else that you want to say around how we define feedback or what it is? I really think that feedback involves three components. The first one is receiving of information from an external source. Now, this can be verbal, uh, you know, as, as you would often see in classrooms, nonverbal. That could be something along the lines of body gestures or something along those lines. Um, written feedback, 
in tests and things like that. Physical feedback, like the other day I walked into a door in the middle of the night and that was physical feedback to say, Tom, you need to maybe wake up a little bit first before getting out of bed. Um, Excellent. <laughs> there's visual feedback, you know, in terms of being able to see things and, and electronic feedback in terms of I'm thinking things like Desmos. So you can receive feedback from a range of different sources and then reflect on it and then use that for improvement. The second part, the second component is it's in reference to one's progress within a specified task. So we're receiving information in reference to a person's progress within a specified task. And so the last one. So does that mean that in terms of your walking into a door, you received feedback on your journey from bedroom to the bathroom? So maybe. Were you in the room at the time? Because (laughs) (laughs) it's exactly what was happening. To be able to do that, to know the reference um, to one's progress within the specified task, there needs to be clear success criteria. So for me, the success criteria was getting to the bathroom, which I didn't do very well, um, (laughs) as as my poor fiancé heard. Uh, And then then the third part is... for me, this is this is possibly the most important part. It's the human element coming in again, and that's delivered with the intent to promote improvement within that specified task. I, uh, I'm a Toastmaster myself, so I'm, I'm in a club that looks at public speaking and, and helps people to improve in their public speaking. And a person who isn't a teacher once gave me the best way to understand whether something's feedback or not, and that is if you are giving a piece of advice to someone with the intention to help them improve in something, then it's feedback. If the intention is not to help them improve, then it's just criticism. And I think that that's the key is it's about wanting better for the other person, the person that you're working with. So it's not about the person giving it. It's about the person receiving it and how it's received. Excellent. That, that, I, find that, I find that really helpful because I think that, in many ways, we've defined the difference between criticism and feedback as well, right? If, if what's the motive and the motive is really important. I place emphasis on the, the simple questions to, to kind of try and help us form a really good starting narrative. We've defined what feedback is and those three components I think are really helpful. Um, and we've unpacked this a little bit, but maybe it's, it's a chance to kind of talk about it a little bit more. Why is it important? Like, why is feedback important? Yeah. So, well, feedback is important for a number of reasons. We know it, it can help promote learning. Um, we know it can build motivation within the person who is receiving the feedback, especially when it's delivered in the way that feedback should be delivered in. Um, and, and it takes into consideration the, the receiver's emotions and things like that. And and also what I'm finding with the relationship um, research that I'm doing is that is perfect at addressing this thing called perceived partner responsiveness. Now, perceived partner responsiveness in a nutshell is how relationships form. There's a a researcher by the name of Harris Reese, and what happened was he's gone and said, all right, well, people feel like they've got the best relationship with someone or the strongest connection with someone when they feel that the other person sees them they understand them and they're able to interact with them in a way that meets their personal needs. So let's just think about that in reference to feedback for a second. If I'm giving feedback to you about something in a way that I've really seen the what you're struggling with or where you're at, 
I then am able to understand the issues that you're having or whatever, and then I'm able to meet your needs and help you to improve. That's an example of me meeting your perceived partner responsiveness, meaning that we're more likely, or you're more likely to feel connected to me and have a stronger relationship with me. And so I really believe that feedback is a perfect example when done well of an opportunity to build relationships with students. There's another thing that I want to touch on as well, and that is we're talking a lot about feedback from, from the teacher to the students, but teachers also need to or, and will inevitably receive feedback from their students. And there's, there's sought out feedback. That's the kind of feedback where we ask students, you know, can I do anything more for you? Is there any way that I, maybe I'm teaching that isn't working for you that maybe I could improve on for you? That kind of stuff. But then there's also the inferred feedback. Like when we walk around the classroom and we see students working and they're not understanding something and then we go to give them feedback, what we've actually had is inferred feedback for ourselves where we're looking at what they're doing and and we're realising that if, you know, if there's a few students who haven't actually understood, well, maybe we haven't gone and taught it in a way that is going to address the needs of our students. So maybe we need to stop and, and readdress it with the class or something along those lines. So feedback goes both ways. It's not always, it's not a power differential thing here. Um, it's, it's feedback goes both ways. And it's really important that we as teachers model to students how to receive feedback and, and how to take it on so that then students can feel comfortable and safe. And that helps to build the trust for when they actually receive feedback from us. I'm just reflecting on what you said earlier about the three components. And I think it's really important when we think about how we receive feedback that sometimes our students don't necessarily deliver it with the intent to make improvements. But I think as the adult in the room, we should be looking to see how we can receive it, modelling the receiving of feedback, not just the giving of it, but the receiving of feedback. I think that's a, a really fundamental and important part of the the journey and the narrative, right? And the team that worked on the explicit teaching modules for, for the Maths Hub really came up with these seven components um, of explicit teaching. And, and the feedback one, the one that we're discussing today, talks about feedback that is specific and clearly actionable. Now, to some some extent, that's formulaic, but it doesn't have to be, right? So why is specific and actionable feedback important, do you think? And how is that not formulaic? Yeah, and this is the bit that excited me most about the um, about being on this podcast because you know I received some of the questions in advance and I saw the specific and actionable and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. We're going to really jump in and, and, and unpack this. And so, well, first of all, what what is specific and and actionable? Well, specific is you know I know what needs to be done. So I'm receiving feedback so that I know what needs to be done to improve. And actionable is I know now know how to do it and I can then go and do it. So I'm able to go away and and, um, and actually do it. Now, that certainly sounds formulaic in what, what we're doing. You know, you've got to make sure it's specific and you've got to make sure that they can go away and do it. All right. There's, there is those elements where they can come into it. But I don't think that on its own is enough for feedback. Let's take a moment to think about, once again, the purpose of why we're doing it. We're giving feedback to help students learn, to invite them into a process where they can go through and, and learn something new and hopefully feel excited and, and feel accomplished about what they're doing. And that process can be really motivating. So I think 
what the key part is here is is that we need to be thinking about, yeah, it's got to be specific. Yeah, it's got to be actionable. But we've got to think about the student in particular and how are we going to motivate them to go and actually do what we're wanting them to do. Because we've, I've given out feedback many times and, and I've received feedback many times where I go, yeah, that's great, but I'm not going to do it. And if we really want the students to do better and help them out to do better, we've got to make them want to do it for themselves. And we've got to do that in a way that is really going to connect with them. And that's the bit for me that isn't formulaic. That's the bit where you're needing to know the students that you're working with. You need to know what makes them tick and and be able to use that to help improve them. So I'll give you an example. If someone said to me, Tom, um, can you go mow the grass or, or take the weeds out of the, um, out of the uh, garden bed? I am not interested in that in the slightest. And then they said, all right, Tom, it's starting to look really bad. And, you know, if you pull the weeds out in this way, you, you'll get rid of them and, and they might not come back for a while. You know, that's helping me. That's specific. I know how to go and action it. Still not motivated. If someone then said, Tom, you're about to sell your house and it's really important that for the money that you might make because when people come in and have a look at the house, you might make some more money from it. Well, now I'm interested in actually going out and pulling those weeds out and mowing the lawn. So you've got to think about the person who you're working with and how to motivate them in order to then make them want to go on and take that feedback. And that's the bit that I don't think is formulaic. You really need to know the person you're working with. So how do we, how does the teacher that's listening to this podcast, how do they go about in their planning, making space for feedback? So how do they think about feedback or what lanes? Do you have any tips in that space? Yeah, absolutely. So when when it comes time to planning, so I'm, I'm thinking there's a few stages that are going on in the lesson here. There's the days or the hours leading up to your to your lesson. So maybe you plan in the morning for your lesson on what it's going to look like, or maybe it's a, on the weekend, whatever it happens to be. So there's that time. Then there's just a couple of minutes before the lesson, and then there's what happens during the lesson. So I'm going to do this in a bit of a weird order. We'll start off with the the days before or the hours, you know, in the lead up to it. What's important is that you have a clear goal in mind of what you want to achieve and that's, you know, your learning goals, your success criteria. You know exactly what you're trying to achieve with your students. That's important as well as knowing kind of misconceptions that might pop up. So you really want to have a think about what you're teaching, but, you know, where might students go awry and maybe not understand something and how might you address that in a way that's going to help your students to get back on track and understand what it is that you're trying to teach. If you can think about those misconceptions beforehand, then you're going to be so much more prepared when you go into the lesson and help them to meet that success criteria and give that feedback. Because then all you're having to think about is the student rather than having to think about the specific and actionable side of things. So that's that's leading up to the lesson. Another thing that you need to do, and this is when, when I'm been doing my research into the productive pedagogical relationships is that the teachers who are best at building these types of relationships with students are very good at deliberate noticing. And what I mean by that is they walk around the room with an intent to notice and collect as much information on the students as possible. There's no time where they're sitting there looking around, not really taking things in. It's constant. They're constantly thinking about their students, their, themselves and the curriculum and other external factors as well and trying to juggle all of these things. So there needs to be a time when you're preparing your lesson, you need to 
try and include as much time as possible for deliberate noticing. Now, deliberate noticing is difficult to do when you're standing up the front of the room for 30 minutes talking to the whiteboard about how you're explaining something. Deliberate noticing is a lot easier when you've got students working on things and you're able to walk around the class and mingle with them and and communicate with them and and see what they're up to and and get information from them. I think I primarily use deliberate noticing for those students who were disengaged generally or maybe had some challenges behaviorally or or something similar to that where I wanted to I guess positively reinforce their contribution either individually or to a group or um, in a conversation that we've had and you know you're deliberately noticing primarily in that space. Is that the sort of deliberate noticing that you're talking about or, or are you talking about something different here? So that's that's part of it. Yeah, you, but you're, it sounds like, and I've, I've put my hand up as well and say I'm guilty of it too. There were certain students who would always get my attention before other people. So you've got to be aware of your own trigger points at times. And so, you know, for me, if students were misbehaving, I would find myself being drawn towards them rather than focusing on the students who were doing good things. So um, deliberate noticing is is really about looking, walking around the room and having a look at what each student is doing, whereabouts are they up to. It's about noticing things about the students, you know, their body language. Are they happy? Are they looking down? Maybe something happens, happened at recess and, and you just got to check in with them. Hey, are you all right, mate? Um, just to find out where they're at emotionally because emotions come into it and play a huge role in terms of whether or not students are open to learning. And so I guess that deliberate noticing is doing a couple of things. Number one, it's building that that climate and that culture, empathy and trust and, and establishing that. But that deliberate noticing for us as teachers is actually providing us with feedback, right? Because it's if, if you're, as a student in my room, having a an off day for whatever reason, and I notice that, then I'm going to reframe how I present the feedback to you. I may give you the same feedback that I was going to give you, but I might frame it differently given the what I'm noticing, I guess. And so it's 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 building empathy and trust, but also providing the teacher with information and insight into how they might deliver the feedback that they might have or they might choose to hold it back to tomorrow or next lesson for whatever reason. You're spot on. Like that is that is the part. It's you're you're noticing these things and you're using that information to to actually um to tell you how you're going to then interact with the student. And that's the bit that's not formulaic. You you can't predict how each student's gonna be or how they're gonna what mindset they're gonna be in or anything along those lines. That's the bit where it's it's kind of um I don't know if you've heard of Brene Brown she talks about um, living wholeheartedly. That's really just sort of living on the edge and being in the moment, being present and interacting with people in a way that you can't plan for. You've just got to go with what your gut feels is most appropriate at the time based on the information that you have. And, And you can't do that unless you prepare yourself to be with it or have the presence of mind in the classroom at the time. And so... That's where the second part comes in is the is the five, ten minutes leading up to a lesson or as you're, the five, ten steps as you're walking up to a door, just doing a little check with yourself to go, okay, where's my head at at the moment? How am I feeling? And just taking a few breaths 
and telling yourself, okay, when I step into this classroom, the students in front of me are the people that matter the most, not the emails that I've just received for, about something else that's going on or, or whatever. Like these are the people in front of me because in order to give the feedback that's going to motivate them and inspire them to take on and, and do what I'm saying the most, I need to be able to address them at their point of need right there and then. And I need to be present and aware of where they're at emotionally at that moment. That's awesome. And I think it's that whole idea of choosing to be deliberately noticing, right? Choosing to, what can I deliberately notice today and and how can I use that to impact the classroom culture? Let's talk for a second about those moments of delivering feedback, whether that be verbal or written. There are obviously some some keys and some some important things we do, like avoid being emotive, avoid stuff like that but but is there any other pieces of advice that you'd have for the actual delivery of feedback whether that be written whether that be um, verbal whether that be um, anything any thoughts off the top of your head on that one yeah I was um I was thinking actually about this this kind of like how would I give feedback and, and I thought of an example when I went to a restaurant they've just had a, a restaurant open up nearby recently and uh drinks are great there by the way food i found out not so much um and so when when i was sitting down that the the waitress did her job and she came over and she said what did you think of the food and i said uh what like wasn't the best now at that point in time that's not feedback that's just simply criticism and i just wasn't even thinking about it so so that to me is just like yeah there you go i've just given criticism and she didn't ask much more so we just left it at that what I could have done is I could have been more specific and actionable and said, well, I didn't actually like my palmer. By the way, we call them palmers in, in um, Victoria. I think the rest of Australia calls them palmies. I don't get that. But, but uh, yeah. So the- There will be a separate podcast discussing how we should, what we should call it at some point in time. Watch out for that. Yeah, awesome. I, uh, I'll be interested to hear it. So I was, I was sitting there and the, the problem with it, with it was that the chips were underneath the palmer, which made the chips in the palmer soggy. So what I should have said is something along the lines of, okay, well, I, I didn't like it as much because the chips sitting underneath it made the chips in the palmer soggy. Now that there is specific and actionable feedback, you can just take the chips away from underneath the palmer and they're no longer soggy. What I could have done though, to make it more motivating is I could have said, well, you know, I really liked the cheese and how it was melted on top. And I really liked the sauce of it. That was really good to start off with what is good. I think that the chips took away because it was a little bit soggy. So we move those. That'd be great. Um, now, depending on the level of trust you have with the the chef. Now, the chef doesn't know me at all, will depend on which way you go um, and, and how you give that feedback. So, and there's another one that, you know, Dylan William, I read an article from him and he said that you can, you don't have to be specific and actionable in terms of how you give feedback, which I thought was rather interesting. He said, for example, you might give, he said, what matters most is what students do with the feedback, not how it's delivered. Or, and, and that was interesting. And, and what he said was, you could tell students there are five mistakes on this on this sheet of paper. Can you find all five and get back to me? Now, if I had to said that to the chef, there's one mistake on this plate. Can you find that mistake and get back to me? That to me, I, I've worked with a few chefs in hospitality. I don't think that would go down so well. So it comes down to the level of trust that you have in the relationship. Maybe if I got to know the chef a little bit better, 
and and there was a bit of a relationship there, I'd be like, oh, there's one thing I think that's missing here. Have a try yourself and see what goes on. Then all of a sudden, they might be more open and willing to take it on. And that's where I think one of the things I've been challenged on in our conversation today, or I'm left pondering, is thinking about that whole idea of intentional noticing or deliberate noticing to guide and form my my um, my feedback. How does that? How do I use that in my feedback? How do I craft feedback in real time in the lesson, knowing that we do it day in, day out, right? We absolutely craft feedback. Um, whether it's good feedback or not is a different question, but we are giving feedback. Um, almost every time we open our mouth as, as a teacher, to some extent, we're giving some sort of feedback, even if that's body language feedback that says, I do or don't want to be here. So I do want to give you an opportunity to to kind of sum up, and this is maybe the most challenging part of of the podcast, but I often ask our guests to sum up our conversation. If you, if there were two or three things or a few things that our listeners were to take away from it, what would you hope they would be? Yeah, thank you. Um, I guess for for me, I've I think about my own class and my own. You know, I'm, I put my hand up and say that there were many things that I didn't do well as a teacher, and there were many things that I did do well. And I'll think about other classes as well that I've been in, and. And I look at feedback and learning intentions in, in, I guess, a similar kind of manner. I think I see it a lot with learning intentions where it can be seen at times as being a tick-the-box process. I know I'd certainly done that at times during my lessons where, okay, I've got to have my learning intention up on the board and then I write it up and then it doesn't really get referred to. What, and, and feedback is being treated at times in the same way. What matters is how students connect with it. So unless students connect with the learning intention, the learning intention is not going to do anything for them. Unless we can get students to connect with our feedback and how we deliver it and it's specific to them and it's addressing their needs at that point in time and we've considered them as people, then we can't get them to connect with it and it's not going to help them out. So it's all about the relationship that we have with the students and it's about building trust and putting ourselves in the student student's shoes so that we can best deliver that feedback for them so that they can then make those improvements that we're hoping to see. Wow, thank you, Thomas. And that's probably a great place to, to wrap up this podcast. Thank you for joining us, listener. I really appreciate your time and, and taking the time to listen to these podcasts. Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today as we've explored feedback um, in the Explicit Teaching Podcast series. Thanks, Tom. Thank you very much, Ellen. Appreciate it. You can explore more about this topic, find explicit teaching in maths professional learning modules and other great maths resources to use in your school at the Mathematics Hub mathshub.edu.au